Hi, this is Sharon, and I'm with James Lawley, co-developer of Symbolic Modeling and leading developer of both clean language interviewing and its corresponding verification method. James, welcome, and thank Hi. you for joining me today. Hi, Sharon. Super. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so for anyone who's not familiar with the term clean interviewing or clean language interviewing, James and I have an earlier podcast you can find here on SoundCloud called On Clean Interviewing that will help catch you up to all the basics. Um, so, you know, when I think about clean interviewing and clean language, often with clean language, I, I say, oh, you know, we're born with two ears, but that doesn't mean that we're taught to listen. And clean interviewing seems... Interviewing seems like a simple thing. You're just asking questions. But interviewing cleanly is very different. And I'm, I understand you have an example to share with us that might give the listeners a clue to what's a little different about what we're talking about today. Okay. So, you know, if you see that in order to understand clean interviewing, you've got to under, also understand what's not clean interviewing. Um, What's a, what's a leading question? And almost all interviewing training will tell you uh, not to ask leading questions. Don't lead the witness. And what we've discovered is that's fine advice, but actually unless you realize how easy it is to unwittingly lead, then you don't know you're doing it. So here's an example um, from, a, from a published journal of someone who was doing an interview, an health interview, a people, a person, people who've gone back to work after a major health incident, and um, this is published as a as a as a an a model interview. So the um, the the person who's had a heart attack and they've gone back to work, and the interviewer is, uh, and they're talking about the the memory of the um, of the heart attack. And the interviewer says, how has this memory affected your life? What kind of impact has it had on your life? Seems like a normal everyday question, doesn't it? It does. And the interviewee says, well, my dad's girlfriend's apartment or, or my grandmother's or both. Referring back to something or other, I don't know. And the interviewer says, the first memory, how has this impacted what impact has it had on your life? And the interviewee answers says, um, well, I'm not going to attribute it to this memory solely, but it definitely has had a very large impact. So now if we just look at what's happened there, is the, if we end up that the interviewee has agreed that it had a very large impact and then goes on to describe the very large impact, the question we would ask is, where did the idea that it had a large impact come from? And if you go back and look at the interviewer's questions, you, you see what kind of impact has it had on your life? How has it impacted? What impact has it had on your life? So this, the metaphor impact, because it doesn't mean physically impact, it means had some kind of emotional uh, consequences, has been introduced three times by the interviewer. It's an everyday metaphor, and so probably no idea that what can happen is that the interviewer will pick up on that and start describing it. 
partly because interviewees want to please and they want to be helpful. They've agreed to do the interview. So now, no doubt, that interviewee, interviewer will write up a report saying how, what a great impact these things have on people's lives. But actually, that was their own belief in the first place. Um, so, they have, and that, so that's the first thing. And then secondly, if we look at the structure of the question, how has this impacted your life? Well, there's presupposed in that that it has impacted their life. It's very hard for an interviewee to go, no, actually, I don't agree with your question. It hasn't impacted my life at all. That question doesn't fit for me. Almost no interviewee is ever going to challenge an interviewer and tell them they don't like the question. It's not right for them. Here's, here's another example. How has this memory affected your life? Well, maybe it didn't. But the interviewers presupposed it did. And it's very hard for the interviewee to get out of the question. So, and why this is important is because this is trying to gather information about someone's health. And who knows what this report might do and where it will go and what, what, what um, kind of policy issues, health and safety issues might come up as a result of this. Um, and I would put money on it that the interviewer had no idea that they were leading, severely leading the interviewee. So yeah. that's an example. It, it, it's almost like the interviewer was asking from their imaginary construct, if, if this had happened to me, um, it would have had an impact. So I'm going to make an assumption that it's had an impact on this person I'm interviewing. Exactly. Um, and that's how their use of metaphor happened. It's their yeah. metaphor. Exactly. And, and what is really clear from large amounts of research is the interviewee will process that metaphor impact and will not recognize it as a metaphor, will not realize that they will have taken it on. They will have no idea that that's happened. They will think that was their own idea. It's like, done like at an, such a low level. Like an adoption process. Like <laughs> yes. either, either adopting it because they, they don't want the difficulty of trying to explain the, the, the slight difference in their experience to the interviewer or adopting it because it, it's good enough, but it may right. not be just right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so this is a great example. And this brings us to, um, to what clean language interviewing has that many, many interviewing methodologies don't, um, and you can speak to this, is a systemic validation of the interview process, uh, a way of looking at it to tell Exactly. And in fact, to my knowledge, there's no other method that has something quite as um, systematic um, as, as the clean cleanness rating. And what that does is we would take an interview like this and we go through every single line of the interviewer and we would ask two, a number of questions. Where did, the, did those original words come from? Who did they originate with? If they originate with the interviewee, then that's, that's fine, that's clean. But if they originate with the interviewer, like the word impact, then that we would call that uh, a leading question. So everyone will be graded for that. And then the second thing we would grade for is what I mentioned there is this very subtle structure of questions and how the structure of a question can um, constrain the answer that's given. We'd also call that leading. 
So we go through every single one of them. They all get put into one of four categories from um, kind of um, classically clean uh, all the way through to strongly leading. And then you can tabulate those. That can be fed back to the interviewer and they can see where they start, were leading. And what they can ask themselves is what was happening for me that I needed to lead them at that space? Why didn't I ask them a, a more clean question? And they can understand exactly what you mentioned, their own unknown beliefs, assumptions, uh, presuppositions, and then they can do something to put those to one side next time they interview and improve their interview. Uh, and we're not talking about small amounts here. Um, I've seen some um, research that says even good interviewers trying to stay clean will often only get a third, 30 to 40 percent of their questions will be clean by our definition. 60 to 70 percent will have some element of leadingness. Well, you can imagine over a whole interview the, the, the cumulative effect. If we compare that to someone who's been on a clean language interview and training, they can push their clean questions up to above 90%. Really hard to get 100%. Occasionally, the odd leading question will slip in. But the best interviewers, on average, one strongly leading question per interview is, is as much as, is as far as it goes. And over 90% are very clean questions. So this isn't a small change. This isn't like a 5 or 10% less influence this is like 40 50 yeah you at least double the least the double. quality of the of the questions and sometimes triple wow okay so this is this is this validation process i think um and that it's unique to clean and and that clean questions are so easy to learn once you get the principles behind them mm. and um and I know we talked in 2017, and, um, and that's the podcast I referred to at the beginning. So there's been a lot of movement with clean, oh, my metaphor, there's been a lot of movement with clean interviewing over the past year. And, and you're really like in touch with a lot of people using this in different ways. Um, could you talk to our listeners about where it's being used and, and kind of what's happening now? Well, you're right. It is gaining traction in the business world and in the academic world. And those two things, you know, work together because the more the academics and the academic world gives credibility to this process, then the more the business world will take it up as well. So there's been um, a whole spate of uh, PhD theses which have been submitted in the last 18 months or so. Um, and um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, a really interesting um, set of uh, interviews that uh, Heather Cairns Lee did with uh, 30 European business leaders to find out about their metaphors for uh, leadership and leadership development. Um, and she interviewed them uh, using clean language questions. Um, and in fact, um, one of the things she found was, which is it's kind of hard to credit this, but actually something like she only needed four clean language questions 
uh, to get, to cover 60% of all the questions she asked. And what were those questions? So those questions were, and is there anything else about dot, 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 something that they've described? And what kind of dot, 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 was there something else asking for more information? And how do you know dot, 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 asking for the person to describe their, their way of knowing this. And then the last one, which was specific to the fact that she was trying to um, ask for metaphors was, and that's like what? Which I asked them to turn their ordinary description into a metaphor. Um, and she could do, and her interviews were um, often an hour, an hour and a half long. And what's fascinating from the outside, I know, I imagine some of the listeners are going, oh my God, how do you just ask four questions? <laughs> Don't people get bored? The answer is no. And the reason is, is because it's always about their own, their experience, the experience of the interviewee. It's always about their experience and, their, and there's nothing more interesting than their own stuff. <laughs> so they get into their own stuff and these questions ask them to go deeper and to think more about their own inner way of, of uh, memories and processes and emotional reactions and concepts um, and to really reflect on those and be able to describe them in, in vivid detail that they've uh, really, was almost certainly never done before. And uh, so she submitted this uh, work as a PhD and not only did she get a PhD at the University of Surrey in England, but um, I didn't even know this, but apparently there's a kind of Oscars of PhDs <laughs> where all, all the best PhDs get submitted to a panel. They have all the different categories. And um, she submitted her PhD, it was nominated, and she won the best category in um, leadership uh, research um, for last year. Um, wow. So, you know, what an amazing accolade to her, but also the fact, the recognition that she, that she used this clean language interviewing process um, was a new and innovative way of, of doing research. Okay, so before we go, because I know you have another couple of examples, but when you listed the question, now I know when I'm teaching interviewing and I mention, is there anything else? I always get hit with the open-closed thing. So I just want to backpedal a little and address that question <clears throat> and why that question is clean in, in our methodology of working. Okay. So it's, it's a great distinction, but there's not a direct relationship between open and closed and, cl and clean and leading. So um, closed questions can be uh, leading, um, for example, um, you know, uh, did you put the rubbish out last night? That's a, lead, <laughs> that's a leading question. We call that a dangerous question. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's closed. The person says yes or no. And the, but the question, the interesting thing about the question, and is there anything else about dot, 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 something to do with that person's experience, is first of all, yeah, they can say no or yes or no, but they could say no, in which case, great, they've got nothing more to say, you know that. It's still clean because it doesn't lead them to an answer. Whereas we know, did you put the rubbish out? There's a hidden agenda <laughs> in that question, okay? 
Um, and in fact, the person asking the question probably already knows the answer. Um, whereas, <laughs> is there anything else about the interviewer? The interesting thing about clean questions is the interviewer has no idea what the person's going to answer and doesn't want to know in advance. The second thing about it is in English, um, the question, and is there anything else, is taken as an invitation to provide anything else. And most people will answer that question by giving more detail, by giving more ex uh, another example, by adding to the richness of their description. They won't hear it as a closed question, they'll hear it as an invitation. Um, and so you win both ways, that either they can say no, or they can go on. But one thing is certain, they do not feel constrained. And leading questions constrain, clean questions open up the possibility for the person to answer in any way they want. Super. And you have another one or two examples of how clean is being utilized. And you were talking about the PhDs. So let's stay yeah. on that track because these guys are like kicking butt out there. <laughs> well, there's a, yeah, and, and another PhD has just been submitted by uh, Karen Hanley. She did some uh, interesting research in um, both in the UK and in Denmark to find out what is the person's attitude um, to work who are, are beyond retirement age. Um, and this is important for a number of reasons in today's world. One, retirement, people don't necessarily want to retire anymore. But secondly, sometimes they, don't, they can't retire anymore. They've still got another 20 years of life left and they may have to continue to work. So there's been very little research done in what are people's attitudes when they get to 65 and something about work. So she surveyed those two countries, um, put that together, and she used clean language interviewing, both in English and in Danish, um, as part of her way to find out the genuine, authentic descriptions of those people. Um, so that's another interesting application um, that's got a business sense to it. Um, yeah. but it the, very, but the, very appropriate with our aging population, like you it, say. Exactly, yeah. And but apart from, I mean, these are being done in, within an academic framework. And the reason I mention them is because they have to be rigorous. They're, they're, they have a supervisor, it gets peer reviewed, they have to have um, a viva at the end where they get questioned on it. Uh, and you don't get a PhD unless you've produced some real good pucker research and written it up in the right way. Yeah. So the reason I mention them then is because every one of these then is adding a level of uh, academic credibility to the whole process and making it uh, more and more of a, um, a kind of option for interviewers now. Um, and what makes clean language interviewing different is the systematic nature of it. The basic questions that are provided there are, are provided. You just have to learn them. There's you know, only a dozen, and they will do you the vast majority of the time. Um, and what you also learn is what are the leading questions? How do you lead? And, and therefore, how do you stop yourself doing that? Everybody has that impulse. It's not you don't have the impulse, but you can keep that to yourself. Yeah. Uh, or set it aside, to use another metaphor. I, I tend to think I put my own beliefs in that in my pocket during the interview. <laughs> and then I don't have to bring them out um, in, in that way. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you can see even our conversation, we're not completely clean. We know each other. We've, we've already discussed where we're going with this conversation. And, um, yeah. um, and, and I think that's part of the, uh, once you learn this, this methodology of question asking, it gives you the ability to calibrate when, when is it most important to be clean rather than having clean police. It's like, you being able to like really listen, what's happening now, um, even if it's just a conversation at work, being able to utilize this in a really generative way. I think that's really important um, to, to say that. So, you know, if a, a manager's sitting down and um, needs to talk to somebody about something that's going on and they want to find out, you know, the, the, as much information about it as possible, then great. Use clean interviewing to do that. Um, uh, um, but if they're just having a general chat, then you don't need to. I mean, in the field that I know you know about critical incident interviewing um, and root cause analysis, I mean, it's absolutely vital that high quality data is gathered there. Do you want to say anything about that? Yes. I, I received a copy of some notes from a critical incident, but what this person had written down was barely legible, it was paraphrased, and there was no context of what question had been asked, what answer had been given, and, um, and I'm thinking, these are people in the top of their field. This is their J-O-B, like 50 hours a week. They get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this work. And, and what I saw on that page was such a poor indicator of information gathering. I, I, sometimes I just wonder how anything, any corrective actions or any other processes get done. And there are some very good interviewers out there. And even with the best of intentions, I know of no other model that concentrates and pays such attention to the language being used and how subtly that can influence. And in a critical incident, when you have someone who is um, perhaps uh, been privy to something incredibly awful, an accident, a traumatic event, their psyche is very vulnerable, very open, and, um, and this is a way to come in and find out um, to do really fine level sequencing. So they like to call it timelines, I call it sequencing, um, to gather information and to be able to sort out between that person's experience and the observable objective data that you're actually going for. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's hard to imagine a more important field than, than gathering this information, which is then used to improve the safety for all of us. You kind of heard me pop up on my soapbox, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a, a, just a few examples, and I, I could give so much more. It's being used in focus groups. It's being used in um, uh, gathering information about market research. Um, um, even, actually, interestingly, the, de the designing of surveys um, because the, the danger is if you ask leading questions, you will just get the answer that you wanted in the first place. And I know some people actually want that, but if you actually want to find out what users and customers in the population are thinking, then you have to ask clean questions. Yeah, um, small business people, coaches, 
Yeah. E exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, James, what would you like to see happen with um, clean interviewing? Like, what would you like to see happen next? Um, well, um, I mean, pr primarily I'd like to see um, it more well known. So then people have a choice. Um, the people who are picking it up in academia are the, the new researchers coming in, the ones at the beginning of their career, the ones doing the PhDs, and that's great because then they're going to go on and, and, and tell other people um, uh, about it. And in a way, I suppose this is kind of how most innovations arrive. Um, it's rare for them to come in at the top um, and, and to change decades of, of uh, old ways of working. Um, and the fascinating thing about it is what I, I really want to see is people get a first-hand experience. Because yeah. um, if you're an outside observer or you read about it or you even watch it, you have a completely different experience to what it's like being interviewed. You, you know on these courses we make sure everybody gets interviewed so what I really like then is for people to get a first-hand experience because reading about it or watching an, an interview is completely different experience to being interviewed yourself with clean language questions. And uh, on the training, uh, as you well know, we, we ensure people get interviewed by, uh, with clean language interviews so they get a first-hand experience and almost always they go, this is not like being interviewed with other methods, but you can't see that from the outside. It's so interesting. Um, and then that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is then they start asking these questions and the, and the majority of people go, oh, it's not quite as easy as it looked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it actually, you know, it takes a bit of practice and feedback and support. Um, so I want people to have those experiences and then they choose for themselves whether they want to adopt this method or, or other methods, um, but I'm convinced that the majority of people will 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 pick up on these ideas, um, and, and as a result, you know, computer specifications, academic research, doctors interviewing, the list goes on and on. Critical incident interviews that will get better quality data, and that you know it's going to improve all yeah. of our lives. And, and just like um, symbolic modeling and clean language in general, the clean language interview based on the clean principles is a neutral tool. So if there is something that somebody uses and loves, you can still, let's call, say, clean it up, <laughs> you know, and, and make it a cleaner model. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, understand the principles. Yeah. So um, uh, you and I are having a two-day training in uh, California in January. And um, could you speak to just like maybe just one thing that's unique about this live training, besides it being only once a year and only here and only with us? Um, well, I think actually it goes right back to what you said at the beginning is that um, the quality of the feedback that people get on this training, the amount of practical experience and then feedback on that, and then improve, and then have another go and get feedback. Um, plus the being able to have the experience of being the interviewer, the interviewee, and watching um, experienced people, model experienced people, and how they do it. You get all three perspectives on this uh, training, plus this um, personalized 
feedback that, 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 that allows you to see what you're doing that you don't know you're doing. And then it's your yeah. choice what you do about it. Um, so th that, I, that's what I think really makes this, this training um, not only unique, but it means the people get a huge amount in simply two days. Super. And um, James, it's been great having you today. And uh, those of you listening, I really hope you've enjoyed this time, time with James Lolly as well. And um, you can find out more about clean language interviewing in our January training um, on my website, www.cleanlanguagetraining.com um, under the training tab. Or if you click the Work with Sharon tab, I have a complimentary webinar. So between now and uh, early January, you can also come on a webinar and um, have an experience of being interviewed yourself and learn a little bit more about it. And you can also find more on James's uh, website, all sorts of articles, a plethora of good stuff written by himself and his co-developer, Penny Tom. And that's www.cleanlanguage.co.uk. You could tell from his accent, he's not from the U.S. <laughs> and um, we really hope to see you uh, online or in our training room very soon. And uh, James, thank you again. Great and, to talk to you. Yeah, this is Sharon, and be well, think well, and question well. <laughs>